What's going on, golf addicts? It's David with Tour Junkies. Thanks for downloading this week's episode as Pat and I, as always, preview and break down our picks for the Valspar Championship in Florida this week from Copperhead. It's going to be an exciting week. We also recap Adam Scott and his back-to-back victory uh, here at the WGC, an amazing run he's on right now. But first, you're going to hear an interview from a guy who's been on the show before. We talked to him a little while back, John Peterson, PGA Tour professional, funny man, We just got some great content from John. He's going to talk about his first trip to the Masters and cruising down I-20 on his Ford Explorer, uh, arriving to the Augusta National. And uh, he's going to talk about uh, DraftKings and how he sees it playing out on the PGA Tour. Some really good stuff. And then as we get into the Valspar stuff, we actually have a special guest with us the entire time, and that is Steven from the Fantasy Golf Metrics. Website is fantasygolfmetrics.com. It's at fantasy, uh, FG Metrics on Twitter. If you guys aren't checking their free tools out, you need to do it. We asked Stephen to tell us this week how can the guy who can spend less than 60 minutes a week doing research get into your site and do their thing? So he walks us through that and the most critical parts of his site and his data. It's some incredible stuff. It's going to be a good show. So thanks again for the download. And right before we go, I do want to read a recent iTunes review we had from Ohio WA3. He gave us a five-star rating, and he said, These guys are great. Love the interviews with the lesser-heard voices on tour like Caddies, Web.com guys, etc., plus some tour players. They do a great job giving listeners an angle on pro golf you just don't get from the slick mags in the channel. This podcast is fun. The fantasy angles are great. Two, as these guys know their stuff and do their homework, I just found this a couple weeks ago, and it's already one of my two to three must-hear-immediately podcasts. Thanks a bunch, man. We really appreciate you taking the time to go to iTunes and leaving us that review, and we're thrilled that you are, that, you know, that we've been added to your must-hear-immediately podcast. That's what we want to hear. So if you're enjoying the show, give us some feedback. Send us a message on Twitter. We are at tour underscore junkies. Leave us that review on iTunes, or you can even email us, info at tourjunkies.net. So for now, enjoy the John Peterson interview, followed by me, Pat, and Steven from Fantasy Golf Metrics. And once again, may your screens be green. All right, golf addicts, David and Pat here. We have got a guy who has uh, been on the on the podcast before. One of our favorites on tour and on Twitter, especially. We've got John Peterson back with us. John, you been doing okay, man? Yeah, I'm all right. How y'all doing? Good, good. Couldn't be better, man. Glad to be talking talking some golf. Um, yeah. All right, John. Let's get right into it, man. So you know, last time we talked, we didn't talk much about Augusta and. Pat and I, being from Augusta, um, you know, been to the Masters our whole life, living in Augusta, doing the show from Augusta. Um, you know, tell us about your first Masters experience. I, mean, I know you played uh, a couple years ago, I think. Uh, tell us about that for you. Uh, well, I was on the Web.com tour when I played, so I think I, I will probably be the only player with the distinction of being a member of the Web.com tour, being fully exempt the Masters as a professional. <laughs> um, it, it was a really strange occurrence. I mean, I, I guess they didn't really plan for it when they made the exemptions to the Masters from the U.S. Open. Uh, but when I finished fourth with no status the year before as a pro, it got me in the Masters, but it wasn't enough money to give me my tour card for the next year. So I was on the web.com to replay the Masters. That's crazy. Uh, I, hope, 
hopefully that stands forever. It probably will, but <laughs> uh, it's expensive. What I remember from it is it's expensive. I had to rent a house, and not being on the web tour my first year as a pro, you know, or and uh, this house was like twelve thousand dollars for the week, and oh. you know, you're, thinking, you're thinking, man, I better make a cut just to break even on my rental house, you know. And, <laughs> Yeah, I drove. I drove there. I mean, guys are flying in their private jets over there. I'm, I'm driving a Ford Explorer. <laughs> you know, I, I just remember being poor and it being expensive, but it was a fun tournament, and I'd love to play again. Well, let's you know if you let's say you did play, you know, in 2016. Let's just say you won. What What do you think? One of the, the big things everybody talks about is the Champions Dinner. What What do you think you would serve at the Champions Dinner the following year? Wow. Uh, you know, I never thought about that. Um, I'd have to have something with a little Cajun flair, but it'd have to be a Texas dish as well. And I'd probably have some sort of jambalaya. Uh, I don't know, though. I, it, I'd probably make a joke out of it and make make it really terrible food on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yeah, somebody I'd, I'd some... just try to make it the worst food you can have. <laughs> so... Everybody can get their feathers fluffy. You know, I'd, I'd make it bad. That would be classic. I, that's that's all the more reason to be pulling for you, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I would make it like, I don't know, popcorn and Coke or something. <laughs> hey, so when you're playing a tournament, any tournament, you know, and you've got downtime, what do you what do you do? Or what do you, you know, I think a lot of guys wonder what the tour players do when they're, um, you know, when it's a Tuesday night after a practice round. Like, who are you hanging out with? What do you do? It depends. You know, I like to rent houses with my buddies out there. Uh, it gets really lonely if, if you're alone in a hotel room. You know, it just sucks, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so my rookie year, I didn't really know that many guys. I mean, I knew the guys I played against in college and amateur golf, but, you know, we weren't best friends or anything. So it took me about a year and a half to really make solid friends out there where I felt like, you know, I could rent houses with them and hang out with them and stuff. But, yeah, we rent houses and we, we'll go to – We'll go to whatever the local area's biggest attraction is. If my girlfriend comes, she wants to go shop, and I'll go be bored with her for that. And, and you know, it just depends. Uh, I hang out with Spencer Levine a lot. He, he and I are boys. We rent houses together. And, yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark Hubbard's a good friend of mine. And, you know, we just, Harris English, we, we just kind of hang out. You know, it's not like we're going to go get hammered every night, you know, some people think that's, that's what goes on, that does go on, but uh, we <laughs> save that for Monday night, uh, Tuesday night, you know, you kind of have to wean yourself off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so speaking of your girlfriend, I think her name's Amanda, did you meet her on FarmersOnly.com? No, that was, we, were, we met on uh, Hinge, we met on Hinge, you know, the dating <laughs> app Hinge. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> That's perfect. So what was the hook in your profile that landed her? I need to know. Well, you'd have to change it, wouldn't you? <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, she, uh, I've never seen high school. She's a good egg. Tell me a little bit about what on tour life you may hate or, or wish you could eliminate. I wish every tournament was played in Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> so you just read, you're just kind of, kind of a homebody, huh? Oh. I'm like, 
like, dude, you are insane, man. Like, I played seven in a row. I would, I would honestly break every club in my back and, and come to a homeless people. You know, I just, no way. And uh, that's the worst part of the travel. So if I was, if I could change it, I'd have every tournament in Fort Worth. <laughs> What's the best course in Fort Worth? Okay. Not okay. We talked to another another tour player who kind of said the three week mark was kind of that point where they they feel like they have to take a break. So I guess that's that's fairly common for most. Yeah, it seems like those bureau guys they can do more in a row than the, than us Americans, but that's fine. Y'all y'all go ahead and do that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So take us back to your flashback to your your glory days at LSU, man. What was the most memorable LSU road trip? No, it could be golf team or anything. Well, I was there in 2011. The last time we beat Alabama, that was fun. Yeah. But, you know, I had nothing to do with golf. But it was, it sucks. We lost five times to them in a row now, and it seems like we'll never beat them again. But I was there for that game. We won 9-6, and uh, it was a kicking game. We were sitting right behind the goalpost. That was pretty cool, but no, I mean, I, we didn't really do many cool things with the golf team. Uh, some of the tournaments we had a good time at, but we, we kind of kept it low-key, and that's why probably the team got so much better while, while uh, when I went, we were 80th in the country when I left, we were 15th, it got a lot better <laughs> because our coach was hard on us, man. He, he made us stay in, and we couldn't, we couldn't really do too much in the afternoon after we were done. Wow, yeah, yeah. Do you go back any to, to LSU and, and help out with the program at all? Yeah, I probably should, but I, I don't as much as I'd like to. Uh, I lived there for three years after I graduated, and uh, I, I actually played my rookie year on tour out of Baton Rouge, and it was fun, but I got to be that 25-year-old that was still going to college bars, and uh, <laughs> that just really doesn't, doesn't work too well people know who you are so man you, <laughs> I you have more in common with pat than i thought <laughs> that's true that is true <laughs> i know all too well hey well tell us you know one of the things our, our kind of um i guess slogan is gain it gain your edge you know what tell me about what your caddy may do each and every week to help you gain an edge on the on the competition on the course you know what what does he do to get you ready each day That's a hard question. He doesn't. I don't really like my caddies to over caddy. Uh, I, see, I've had an issue with with getting a caddy that I really fit with. Well, my last guy was a great guy. His name was Ryan Rue, and he worked with Chris Marco a long time. And we he worked for me for fourteen months. I actually just split ways with him before my graduate. But uh, you know, he he was he was just a fun, easygoing guy. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to make him go out there and walk every inch of the course and shoot every tree. You know, that, that's absurd. Uh, I think once you get to that point, you overthought everything and you're beat anyway. So mm-hmm. I, just, I just need a guy that's going to hang out and tell me some funny stories and just talk to me like a normal human. And that's that's really all. We, we don't really do any of the crazy stuff all the other people do. That's that's interesting. Uh, John, I... Well, you I, should, though, because my career would reflect well. <laughs> Uh, John, I used to I caddied at Augusta during college for the for the members. So look, man, if you need anybody, you know, I'm not going to shoot every tree. I can tell you that, but you know, I'll volunteer. I got some good. I think you got a pretty good gig going right now. 
Yeah, I guess, man. I guess. I don't know. All right, man. Last question. So, you know, one of the hot things around the uh, the sports world at the moment is fantasy sports is kind of under the microscope. Fantasy golf is kind of taken off. Um, you've got the PGA affiliated with, I think it's Avis for their fantasy game, but then they're, you know, they're totally against uh, other daily sites like DraftKings and, um, you know, FanDuel and all that. What's your take on any of that? Do you play any of that or do you feel like there's an impact or a, um, a growth in the game because of fantasy sports? Yeah, I do play it. Uh, I love fantasy football. Uh, I've done DraftKings a couple times. Um, and I do pay attention to it as well. It seems like I get two or three tweets a week, you know, telling me that yeah. either, a, either A, you're on my team, don't mess it up, <laughs> yeah. or, or B, you're on my team and I hate you. <laughs> like, <fairly. laughs> yeah. it, it, it just happens all the time. But, uh, no, I think it's good for the game. I do. I think it, I think it boosts people's interest in golf. I mean, golf, whether you like it or not, is not a popular sport. Right. This kind of thing. You know, it's just not. We don't have the personality that other sports have. We don't have the, you know, the, the rivalries. We don't have the strong feelings for, you know, a team or a player that people have for, for the bigger sports. And I think anytime you get other mediums involved where you're able to create interest, I think it's a good thing. You know, the PGA Tour is not affiliated with single week gambling sites like DraftKings or FanDuel or any of that. They don't want us to promote them or, or any of that. But, you know, in our in the back of all of our minds, we're thinking, man, this is probably, you know, the PGA Tour doesn't have to come out and say they support them, but they shouldn't say they're against them. Right. You know what I mean? Because it does, it does kind of hurt the interest of golf. I mean, golf, it's a rich man's sport. I mean, we'll be honest. You have to grow up playing golf, usually at a country club, to be able to be on the PGA Tour. I, I did not have that privilege, but most guys do. And that's what the kids these days, you know, they, they grew up playing golf, they're, they're rich. And the only way to keep them playing, I guess, is to, to keep them gambling with daddy's money while they're in college on golf. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, well, it, I think it's a good thing, but, you know, the tour will never come out and say that, you know, they, they support gambling sites. They're just... They're not going to do it. Which is also funny to me because golf is such a gambler's game. Like, I mean, people are gambling on the golf course at 12 years old, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, here, you, you make a birdie on this hole, give you my Cheetos. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens. And, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of ironic that it works that way. Well, awesome, John. Once again, we appreciate you being with us. And, um, you know, best of luck to you. Continue uh, success on the tour. And, um, you know, we, we, we appreciate all the good content. Hey, no, no problem. <laughs> I'm happy to be on here and mix it up with y'all. Thanks, John. What is up, Golf Addicts? It's David with the Tour Junkies. I got Pat back again. We are ready for another week. And... Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a good one. We, the, the John Peterson interview, we hope you guys enjoyed. The guy is just hilarious. You know, we really wanted to ask him some questions that weren't all that much golf-related. Uh, obviously, he's, he's injured with the wrist at the moment. Hopefully, he'll be back out there soon. But 
You know, there's nothing like uh, hearing John talk about his first trip to the Masters and his Ford Explorer. That was pretty cool. Obviously talked about the impact of DraftKings on the PGA Tour as well, Pat. Uh, what you, uh, what'd you think of old JP this time around? Yeah, man, he was, he was so good as usual. Just a great guest to have on the show. Uh, I know we're going to have him here in the future some this summer. I hope he gets back quickly. Um, but, yeah, his stories are just great. And uh, I'm, I was glad to hear, you know, a little added insight on, on DraftKings. You know, some of these players are a little bit nervous to talk about it, so it's good. He's just he's just an open book. So, uh, again, just, just another great interview by him. Open book may be understatement uh, of the year for John Peterson. <laughs> like, true. Dude's a lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, you know, my favorite part about having John Peterson on the show is his mom is clearly a fan because she she retweets our stuff and you know it's great to see jan peterson really supporting her son so big props to jan peterson tonight so uh good stuff there but you know let's let's move on and i want to recap the wgc cadillac but before we do that we've got another guest on the show uh this week for the tour junkies so you know not only do we bring you john peterson but we're going to bring you Steven Richter from Fantasy Golf Metrics. These guys are making big waves on Twitter right now. Uh, FantasyGolfMetrics.com. How's it going, Steven? It's going great, guys. Uh, really glad to be on here. Appreciate you having us on. Obviously, you guys have been doing a tremendous job getting some, uh, some serious PGA talent on there. But you know, we'll just play with the numbers while they, uh, they get the job done on the course. Steve, yeah, you've, you've got a tough act to follow by following John Peterson. I, I hope you're, I hope you're going to be able to bring your A game tonight. I mean, I hope so. These guys are entertaining, you know. I mean, they're they're good on the course, but they're they're even better on your show. This is this is true, this is true. Well, Stephen, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Fantasy Golf Metrics before we really get into the golf stuff. Um, you know, let everybody know where they can find you too. Sure, sure. So like you said, uh, fantasygolfmetrics.com, uh, the Twitter handle is at FGmetrics. Um, basically, you know, we're, we're a site that is going to analyze PGA Tour data week in and week out to, uh, to give you the, the best odds of doing well, whether it's uh, daily fantasy or, uh, or betting. Um, we look at those tools uh, in a different way than I think most other sites do. So uh, the processes that we've put in place, you know, uh, get us a little excited about how uh, we look through our numbers. We're... Uh, just under a year old in terms of what we've been putting out there publicly. Um, myself and uh, my partner Bobby, he's uh, he was the original brains of it, uh, the GPP mastermind I call him. He brought me on, and we kind of have been doing this for, uh, like I said, about nine months. Nice, nice. So you know, and, and you guys are uh, you're from the uh, the well, you live in Brooklyn now, but you're from New York, and so. You know, it's good. And, you know, we got two rednecks and a Yankee on the show this week, which is entertaining. Well, three rednecks if you count John Peterson, but, you know. Um, so that's, that's exciting. You, you know, you guys are putting out great stuff, and we wanted to have you on because, um, you know, I think, you're, I think the, the thing you didn't mention is that FantasyGolfMetrics.com is a free tool right now and a free site. And to me, there's just nothing out there that's better, um, especially for free. I mean, I, I definitely would pay for what you guys are putting out every week. So we're going to dive into that a lot um, you know, in detail here pretty soon as we break down the Valspar. But before we do that, you know, we got we got to talk about the WGC Cadillac. Adam Scott, back-to-back winner, the man dime, Adam Scott. You know, he, his short putter is working. I mean, h- how good was that, right? Can we, can we just go ahead and just put to bed the whole conversation about – you know him having troubles with uh, you know going back to the short putter. I think I think that's that's uh, pretty much done now, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is the guy just, uh, he took Tiger Woods' 2000 swing, said, I'm going to copy this, and then come out there and strike it as, as well as anyone, and, and the numbers show that. So it's, it's really exciting to watch him play at this level, and as long as he putts average, he's going to be doing this, you know, just like uh, Spieth did last year, McElroy did two years ago. I mean, he's just as, uh, just as hot as anyone. It's pretty killer, man. I mean, and, and again, now we've just thrown another name in the mix of just incredibly blazing hot golfers right now with Ricky Fowler recently and you know uh Speed's gonna 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 come back around after you know the missed cut a couple weeks ago and Rory looks back into form and now you got Adam Scott so look we are 29 days away from my favorite week of the year and that would be Masters week the first major right here in Augusta and it's and there are some incredible names geared up ready to go so it's just really fun to watch and, and to see Bubba play and continue to play well and do his thing, uh, getting you know getting ready for Masters as well is exciting. So it was definitely a fun event. Uh, and, I, and actually, I managed to I managed to get some green screens last minute on Sunday. Uh, my screens all of a sudden got green. I made a little bit of money. I didn't I didn't make a lot, but I made a little bit. So hopefully, you guys had a good week, Pat. I mean, you know, you had Bowditch a little bit. I don't know how that worked out for you. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I don't. Let's just skip that part. <laughs> you know, I don't. I actually did have a decent week, but it wasn't as, as great as I would have liked. One of the guys that I was on though was Danny Willett, and he really came through for me. So, uh, so it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Bowditch did hurt me in a few lineups, but you know, I've learned my lesson there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we we uh we basically went uh, a few different lineups. Bobby is like I said, the GPP guy. I actually went. If anyone was following on Twitter one lineup because the goal last week was just to uh to try and put through a bunch of wow. yeah just, just we, we did a bunch of millie makers trying to you know get ready for your favorite weekend of the year and uh i think you also happened to dustin johnson on sunday so i went from uh a bunch of millie makers to a bunch of nothing so it's all right you know you'll, you'll learn you'll learn <laughs> yeah he had a great saturday right oh, he was God. eight under on saturday it was all and... jacked up yeah that 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 sucks um, but you know, but see the reverse had... happened to me you know, what? David, talking what, about, though, with, with Adam Scott and, and Bubba and all these hot golfers going into the, to the Masters in a few weeks, it is, it's going to make it very difficult to pick, you know, just solid lineups, wouldn't you say? I don't know, man. I think it's, it's going to be deep. It's, I mean, it's tough. I think when it gets to the level that it's at with these types of players playing at a high level at in those types of events, you just got to pick one guy that you're not concerned about everyone owning because they're playing well and make sure the guys around him get the job done because you, you, your top guy is a guy you're always going to look for in the top five. So, you know, if, if you get that, then it's all about what you kind of built around that. But there's so many guys playing at a level that, you, you know, who knows who's going to win. Yeah, I mean, not everybody can be 13,000. So, exactly. I mean, you're, you're going to have you're, you're going to have some some guys down there with great value but i'm excited man i can't wait for the, for DraftKings to go ahead and get those prices out it's going to be it's going to be fun to talk about uh but but you know that's enough about wgc let's let's get it going for the valspar uh the valspar championship in palm harbor florida at the innisbrook resort uh, the famous copperhead course pat why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh the course and of course the weather <laughs> I, well, I know you're excited to hear about the weather this week, but yeah, everyone's so favorite Inn- weather girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, we're at the Innisbrook Resort as you said this week, the Copperhead Course in Palm Harbor, which is basically Tampa, Florida. So it's a par 71 course, uh, pay- playing a little over 7,300 yards. Um, 
you know, this is actually it's a, it's a very difficult course on tour, and then and those last three holes they call it the 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 snake pit, I think. Is that what they call that? That's correct. Um, playing yeah, I mean, as one of the more difficult last three hole stretches on tour. You know, this this course there's a lot of dog legs on this course. I think it's going to call for a lot of accuracy off the tee. That doesn't mean you got to hit the fairways. I just think you're going to have to have some imagination. I don't think this course necessarily favors the bombers at all. I think it's going to frustrate them, as a matter of fact. Um, but again, it's going to be it's going to be a, a great week. The weather-wise, I think it's going to be beautiful. But I do think the wind's going to play a little bit of a factor this with this week, and we may get a little bit of rain on Saturday. But other than that, should be should be pretty good. I'm scared to say any statistics with Steven on the phone. <laughs> he just feels like such a freaking guru. Um, so, you know, you got Spieth as the defending champ. Uh, the cut line last year was at plus one. It was the 10th hardest course in 2015. It's kind of a weird course in that there's four par fives and five par threes. So uh, par 71, set, like you said, a little over 7,300 yards. Um, so an interesting, an interesting course. And we're going to hear the Snake Pit references Galore um, sure. starting starting Thursday, so they really, that will be uh, buried in your head. They really love these uh, this stretch. They got they got the bear trap. They, they got the blue monster. They got the snake pit. They just you know yeah <laughs> yeah no it's 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 getting it's kind gonna of run crazy. all the way up through Masters though with Amen Corner. So of course, might as well get corner. used to it. I guess. Uh, although I just don't put Amen Corner in the same class, but it is, it no, is what course. it is. And just yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned it was just playing over seventy three hundred yards this year. Uh, last year, I think they had it just around 7,200, so I'm not sure if there's just a lot of variation in the course, but I'm just kind of looking at the guide last year, so it looks like a little extra length uh, uh, according to what you're saying there, so that's interesting to know. Yeah, I got it at 7,340 uh, off the PGA site. I mean, that may be um, – yeah, I mean, that that was today, that's, so that's I'm yeah. guessing. I'm just looking at – yeah, I'm looking at last yeah. year, so that's 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 awesome. That's, that's definitely some insight there because I think uh, if you look at last year – Lengthened it a little bit. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, listen, before we get into the stats, I mean, because, you know, we got the stat guy on the phone, let's, let's talk about the FantasyGolfMetrics.com site and the tools that you guys use and, and you know, what you guys do. And, and you know, you, you've, you guys have been on, on Twitter pretty good, and, and you're getting some traction in, the, in our world, so to speak. So a lot of people, you know, can, I, I think would understand, you know, how in-depth you guys can get. But here's our goal for tonight. We want, you know, Stephen to really help us figure out how to prioritize uh, what, you know, the tools that are on the site and, and define some of, the, some of the stats on the site because it can be a little intimidating. It's like information overload sometimes. Um, but, but we want Stephen to really help the guys who have maybe 45 minutes to an hour a week to put in research and make their picks. So... You know, obviously, you know, you can put a ton of time into this, um, and there's plenty of people that do that and do it well, but I don't, I don't really believe that you have to, and I think sometimes you can over, overcook it. And, uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, there is a, an, a level of luck here, right? So we can't, you know, we can spend all the time in the world figuring this out, but, you know, crap's going to happen, and, and your lineups are going to suck sometimes, and they're going to be great sometimes. So for the guy who can spend 45 to 60 minutes a week sitting down in front of his computer and really hammering out some research. First of all, let me just say, the fantasygolfmetrics.com website may be the only site you have to go to. So that, that right there streamlines a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, but, Stephen, go ahead and talk through 
that process or, and, and some of the tools that you guys make. And there's some specific tools we'll ask you about as you get into it. But, but tell us some of the thoughts on that concept of somebody being able to only spend uh, an hour or less each week doing this. And you know what? Absolutely. So just before I start, I'm, I'm really excited about what you wanted to talk about tonight. So when we got together and you said that that's the thing you wanted to touch on, like for the guys that aren't as crazy about it as, you know, you know, we are, I guess you'd say, how can we help them out? So, you know, it was something that was really looking forward to talking to, uh, talking about tonight. So, you know, like you mentioned, you can pretty much come onto our site and there's a ton of stuff. And the last thing we want to do is intimidate, you know, the average person. There's just so much data out there. Um, so I think the main thing and the thing that kind of got us started was, was our survival guide, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm guessing by now you guys are familiar. And the reason we call it a survival guide is we wanted, yeah. to, we wanted to try and put something together so that someone could come to the site, download this, and then basically have everything that they need to make informed decisions. You know, one of the things that we're big on uh, or, or not big on is, is touting specific players or saying, take this guy over this guy, because for us it's more about, you know, making sure you just have unique ways to, to differentiate yourself from everyone else uh, out there. So um, when it comes to the survival guide, that's where I would definitely start. Um, before we even had all the fancy tools that I'll also get into, that was basically the whole site. You would just, lo- you would just turn on the site, there'd be a button, and you'd click survival guide, and you'd download our sheet, and it would basically have all the, the data on there. Um, so just to, to dive in, uh, I think that uh, what you can do uh, is what Bobby and I call our, our filtering method uh, in terms of just getting a quick snapshot of identifying players uh, as quickly as you can. And let me bring it up in front of me. I basically have my own in front of me that's like on steroids to kind of uh, after that process. But uh, what I mean by the filtering process is we have our sheets set up so that on each tab, whether it's our overall rankings, uh, our stat rankings just for the last 12 weeks, like I said, we use a a moving average. We don't use like year-to-date and ranks. We actually use the hard stats on a moving average, so you kind of get an up-to-date number each time uh, we have a new event. Um, we have course history stats, event by event, the course history by year, just so you can kind of go through all that. But the main thing is you can filter all of these tabs to, to see who the best in each category is. And um, what we do each week, uh, just to get a quick overview, is We'll go to, say, uh, our recent form uh, ranking, and I'll sort that by top to bottom, and I'll highlight all those guys, maybe the top 20, top 30, and a bright orange. Then I'll go over to the key stats, do the same thing, and basically go through all the major categories. And at the end of it, what I like to do is see which players have all boxes lit up. And I think a lot of people talk about kind of checking off those boxes, but when you have it in front of you yeah, and yeah. the actual uh, course, the boxes, when, when you have uh, that data pop in front of you, I think it paints a really clear picture. And I was going over some of the guys that we had done that with the last few weeks, and, you know, I, I think people weren't on Phil enough the last couple of weeks for how well he's played. I'm sure they're on him now, but he was one yeah. of those guys. I mean, Scott, the last two weeks, Scott was the only person last week that uh, hit every single key stat category for our data, which, again, you know, I don't want to get too out of myself, but I can go into that as well. But when things like that pop off the page where they're in the top 10 or top 20 of every single stat, that's the easiest way that we found you can identify players uh, to go with when you don't have a lot of time. Love that. Love that. So so which tab do, do you go to to get that started? Like, okay, so, would you go to player player ranks yeah, for, so, the, um, for recent form? So the first thing I would do is, like I said, yeah, go to the player ranks tab, and I have it in front of me. Um, and this is basically done for this week. Uh, I'll probably post it tonight. I wanted to make sure I had it ready to kind of discuss tonight. So uh, right after I'm done here, I'll probably go live with it. Um, but like I said, you take the recent form, the key stats, and the course history. Those are the three main components. Obviously, you want to know how well a guy's been playing recently. 
how their stats match up for the course, and then how the, how well they played at the uh, at this particular course. That, you know, I, I think we'd all kind of agree that that's what you want to look at. So basically sort each one of those columns, highlight, uh, in this case, we had 140 odd people this week. 40 is probably good. You could do 30 if you want to be a little tighter, but usually when you have a full field event, you go closer to say 40, you highlight each of them, and then you just basically look down and which one of them have all the same color. You don't have to use orange. You know, we're, we're biased to our, our, our brand, if you want to call it that, but any color will yeah. do. <laughs> uh, that's where I would start. And I would basically write down, um, you know, who kind of pops off in, 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 that, in that section. So I write those guys down. Then what I would do is I go over to the R data tab. And uh, before we kind of do that same filtering process, I think you kind of got that down. Just to reiterate what R data is, uh, the R stands for relative. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of different uh, sites and uh, analysts coming out there with, with their projections is they're using straight rankings. And a lot of times those rankings are, say, from PGATour.com where it's you know year-to-date. So when you only got a one event in, you don't have anything. But when you're at the end of the season, year-to-date doesn't really mean as much. So again, that, that moving average is important. But at the same time, uh, a guy that has 20% birdie or better, which is a stat that we, uh, we can all the time, you know, he might be playing in, in three or four events, and I mentioned this to David earlier, where, you know, everyone's birdieing. You know, maybe it's uh, Kapalua, it's, uh, it's the Sony Open, it's, 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 it's places where everyone's birdieing. The average in the field might be 25% birdie or better. Um, and then you have a guy like uh, Jamie Donaldson, who's only played, say, Riviera, um, last week at the Rowell, and then, of course, uh, the Honda. He might have, say, a 15% birdie or better, but he's actually birdieing 3% more than everyone else in those fields, that's how you normalize these stats. Right. So again, I, it's, it's hard to go about it and not you know, get too intense, but the main thing is to, to, to think about here is each one of these stats is relative to the fields that they've played. So it doesn't matter against the tour. It's you know, literally, I can tell you right now, um, Webb Simpson, for example, um, you know, I know you had Sasori on last uh, weekend, so I forgot I mentioned him. He is, bir- yeah. he is birdieing 4.7% more holes than the fields that he's played against. So in, in the, the, the most recent, I think he's got three starts over the, in, in the period we're looking at, 4.7% more. So instead of just saying he birdies this much and player B birdies this much, we're actually looking at how many birdies are being made relative to the fields that they played against. So I think that's a, a really important way to start looking at stats. It, it, it gets a little intense, but you know if you can kind of get through with that, um, you know, you, you're going to find yourself in a better spot. So basically, we'll do the same thing uh, with our key stats on that tab where you can basically sort, take the top 20, 30, 40 from all of them, and then when you have, say, five or six key stats, which we also post each week after doing the course history analysis, you can see uh, a guy, and I, I noted some down this week, a guy like, um, you know, Spieth obviously pops out. He's in four of a six of the top, uh, top 30, um, which is a pretty big number. No one made it more than uh, five this week. So you got Spieth, you got Graham McDowell, guys you wouldn't even think about. I mean, David Toms happens to hit four out of six this week. Um, Luca, wow. Lu, Lucas yeah. Glover, who, you know, you can never really trust. But oh, ex- exactly. He hits, <laughs> he hits four out of six this week. So in four of the six major categories that we identified by doing our regression, um, he's in the top uh, 30, you know, in the field in four out of six of them. So, you know, that's kind of the way we do it. You, you take maybe five minutes, literally. I mean, it sounds like it might be a lot more complicated. You take five minutes just to sort all the categories, highlight them, identify who has the most boxes colored, and you're going to put yourself ahead of most of the people that open up DraftKings.com right away. And so that's Steve, it, man. 
Go, go ahead, Pat. No, I was just going to you know, so anybody kind of, I guess, that listens to us um, knows that, you know, David and I have a little bit different way of going about a lot of our research, and, and he, he does tend to be a little bit more stats-driven, whereas I'm, I'm a little more course history in recent form. So, you know, if somebody is, let, let's just say, if somebody's not as stat-heavy as, as I am, you know, when they go to your site, you know, what are sort of the first place they would go if they're, if they're wanting to mainly just look at course history, you know, recent form, and kind of compile that together so that they can, can they kind of customize their rankings that way? Yeah, so um, they absolutely can. We have um, on our site, and I hate to say it because we're actually in the middle of revamping the model uh, in a good way, and we'll kind of unveil that in, a, in about a week, but we've had on the site, called, uh, it's called our dashboard. Um, and what you can do is you can basically take the same model that we use and pick uh, one of any of the 22 stats that we use. Uh, you can pick how much course history, how much recent form, how much key stats you want to use as the weight. Uh, and you can pick the weights for, um, for each one of those stats. Uh, you can also pick, we have a, an option on there for cash or GPP. Basically what that does is it allows you to, to kind of go more of a, a risky play or not. We kind of have our own you know, proprietary metrics in there as well. So we can't, we can't put out everything for you, but we have to have a little, little, little more on secret sauce. Um, I think that's, that's a way that people can kind of build their own thing. Um, obviously, uh, uh, one of the tools that we have on our site uh, is the, the player comparison tool. Um, if you just have a couple different players in mind, you can go to that tab on our site, hit the drop down, and it's going to give you a quick snapshot of you know, what, their, what the key stats are in terms of ranks against tour. Their, their value metrics, um, their points gained against price, points against field average, those are things I'll mention you know, after we kind of conclude this part. Um, it, obviously, it has their price, how many starts, how many DraftKings points they're averaging, and of course, our final uh, fantasy golf metric score. So you know, if you want a quick snapshot of two to three players, you can use that tool. Um, but then again, if you're just looking at you know, course history, things like that, the survival guide really has everything you need in terms of trying to find out some aspect. I mean, you can do the filtering method, and it's going to be a ton of, you know, a big spreadsheet in front of you. But there's also a, a stats ranks for just uh, Innisbrook this week. So the Copperhead course, there's a whole tab that shows how the field has played at this course in their stats. So you can look at, you know, someone like Jordan Spieth, and he's ranked 28th uh, of all players that is played out of played at Innisbrook in strokes game putting. So that's probably at this point a little over a thousand people in the 10-year sample size that we're looking at. So, um, yeah, I mean. Every single tab is going to offer you something where you can look at the event by event to see how they're trending, uh, the course history by year to see how they're trending, and then of course we have a putting ranks tab that shows basically how they've performed on the specific surface for the current week since last year's tournament. So this week it's Bermuda, and the numbers on our putting ranks tab are going to show you the ranks since last year's Valspar for all these players on this surface. You know, like, obviously, you know, our show's slogan is gain your edge, and that's what everyone who's doing any kind of betting or fantasy is looking for is that edge. And for me, you know, when I could get in and play around on this site, uh, you know, a month or so ago, six weeks ago is when I kind of first started dabbling around on the Fantasy Golf Metrics site. It definitely kind of opened my eyes because it is something that, that I'm guilty of is uh, is using the PGA Tour Media Guide stats and just – you know, and there was a part of me that knew, you know, like it doesn't make sense to trust a birdie or better percentage of a guy who plays, you know, uh, 60% of his events in the first quarter of the year at, at, you know, at Hawaii and on easy golf courses. But 
it's like until you really know that there's somebody out there cooking up something different, you just you just kind of roll with it. Um, but now that I, I you know I've got you know I've gotten an understanding of the relative data and how you guys normalize this stuff um, to the field, and and you take that into consideration in the rankings, it it feels good, man. It feels really good. And and as a stat guy, you know I I, I get I get goosebumps, man. I'll, Pat, I know you're I know you are too. I'll tell you, it's uh <laughs> it's exciting to be on Twitter now with how much interaction that we're basically having every day. Yeah, and, and we see people talking about things that. You know, we know before we were putting out stuff, they weren't talking about. It. And you know, some right, people, some right. people, people might be saying they're 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 biting or copying. We don't look at it that way. It's exciting for us. It's a hobby for us. That's why it's free. Uh, you know, it's it's something that we love to do. But um, you know, when we talk about the putting splits, because I know that was one of the things you wanted to make sure I touched on, the putting splits. Yeah. I see people talking about how well someone does on Bermuda or Bent or Poa so much more than ever before. And I, and I have to, you know, I can't help but but believe it's a little bit of what we've kind of infused into the conversation. So it's really exciting to see people talk about things more intelligently than we were, say, a year ago. Okay, I'm, so I'm let's talk. Stephen, that that's one that's one of my favorite parts of of y'all's site is is the putting split analyzer. I think that that is just great. I mean, as much as I'm not the biggest stat guy, um, that to me is just it, it, maybe an overlooked part of y'all's site. I think it's very important. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something where, you know, you don't want to base all of your decisions on just saying, all right, well, let me just look at each guy and the putting splits and the good ones I'll take and the bad ones I don't. Because obviously people are going to play well regardless of the surface in some instances. But there are just certain players now that have, you know, my eyes have been open to that I just won't touch on a surface because, you know, the odds just say they're not going to get it done here. I mean, I look at a guy um, like Tony Finau. Is I don't I mean, actually I'm you know I don't think he's playing this week right now but um the reason I bring him up is he has the biggest actually you know what? he is that's a lie I thought so so he has a uh, a two point one seven strokes gained differential between Bermuda and Bentgrass so again I'm not I'm not advocating it for or against them right now because I haven't looked at everything else but he's negative one point two five five on Bermuda and positive point uh, nine two three on Bentgrass it's just if I have the option to take someone else, like it just, it's just clear to me that he's played 21 starts on both surfaces. He just doesn't get it done here as much. He might. He might have a hot week. He might stick it close. He might have a, a Duffner at the PGA where he hits at everything to three feet. But it's just clear to me he doesn't get it done. So when you're looking to make a final decision on two guys, that's when I really think it's the best. If you have two guys in mind, they're around the same price, they're around the same ability, and you're not sure how to differentiate, you go on there, you put them in there, and you see one of them excels on this service and one of them doesn't. That's how I like to use the uh, the putting split analyzer, based with that, that final decision. Okay, so let's talk about the, the, the putting analyzer because I'm, I'm a big fan of that tool as well. Mm-hmm. So my eye gets drawn to – because if I – because to me, if I'm strictly looking at, um, you know, at, at strokes, like at putting, you know, on that tool, you've got really three uh, rows of information. Yep. My eye goes straight to the middle row, far left, strokes game putting, and that's really just about all I care about. Yep. Is that is that is that wrong? Um, well, I'll tell you this. That's the first thing I look at as well, because obviously there's no okay. there's no more pure okay. stat than strokes gained putting, strokes gained tee to green. There's nothing more pure than those right. two stats. Um, one thing um, you should consider, though, uh, just so you know, I, I haven't we have we're not even really able to calculate a bias. Look at the field strength number. Um, some okay. sometimes 
one of them is a lot higher than the other. The field strength uh, metric is a number that we came up with that basically can tell you how strong a field is. Think about uh, Reno Tahoe Open as a .99 and the 2013 British that Phil won as an 8.5. So that's bottom line is if there's a big difference there, maybe you want to be careful about how much weight you put into it because obviously if they're playing in better events with better players, it could be tougher. But if it's very close, which it is for most players, I'd move on to everything else. Stroke ski and putting, most of it comes from putting 5 to 10 feet and, 15, and 10 to 15 feet. That's where the most um, yeah. putts are gained. We run the regression every week to see it's usually most 5 to 10 or most 10 to 15. If you combine both of them, it's about 60 to 70% of all strokes gained come from that range. So definitely check those two. Um, the other two that I like to look at, the finish position and average DraftKings points. Because obviously at the end of the day, you're looking to get as many DraftKings points as possible. Again, I still have Tony Finau up here. He's averaging 12.6 less DraftKings points on um, Bermuda than he is on Bankgrass. I mean, right there, that's, uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, if you're looking to get points, that's where uh, I'd like to look. I mean, you can look at cut percentage, obviously. I mean, he's 47% on Bermuda, 81% on Bankgrass. That's a huge thing. Usually it's a lot tighter than that. But, you know, you look at scrambling, birdie or better. Those things don't really matter as much. Like you said, strokes gain putting is huge. Look at the DraftKings points, the finish position, and then just in case the field strength is, uh, isn't way off, you know, make sure that uh, you're looking there too. All right, so for example, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a player that I like mm-hmm. this week. So pull him up on the, on the putting split analyzer. I got you. The guy that I like this week is Sean O'Hare. Okay. Um, he, he, he appears to check the box in, uh, in scrambling, in uh, points against the field, which is a stat you guys use that I like. Uh, strokes gain T to green. Um, he's, uh, he's got a, a pretty decent history here as well. He was second place last year. Actually, not that great before then, but I like his price. So when I put him on the putting split analyzer, you know, if, you, if your eye is just drawn to the green in the variance uh, under strokes gain putting, then you think, okay, maybe he checks this box. But at the same time, like the number on Bermuda is, is less than a tenth of a stroke, right? I mean, so if you look at that, you, you still say, yeah, he does a little better on Bermuda than Bentgrass, but by no means would I call him a, a Bermuda specialist, right? And, and that's the thing. I, he definitely is not a specialist. And then, it, again, if you look at the field strength, you know, it's 4.45 for all the Bentgrass events he's played and 4.14 for Bermuda. So it's, he's playing in harder events over his career on Bentgrass. So there's a little bit of a differentiation there. But what I would also say is look at the money. And I know that it maybe doesn't make any sense, but if you look at the money, he's made $700,000 more on Bermuda yeah. in 22 less starts. So when I see a guy that's, yeah, made, wow. that's made more money in less starts, I listen, these guys are out there making a living. And these guys are making a living on Bermuda more than they're making a living on Bankers. So that, that's good enough for me. But yeah, yeah. It, it, listen, if you look at the finish position, it's actually slightly worse. If you look at the DraftKings points, it's slightly better. It's not enough to really make a huge decision. I wouldn't put this as a, an ideal case to say I have to have Sean O'Hare or I don't want Sean O'Hare. Obviously, it's slightly favorable, but it's not one of those like, holy crap, it jumps off the page. Right, right. Interesting. All right, so that's that's we we went pretty deep into the putting uh, mm-hmm. splits analyzer. I like that. So let's talk about um, the ranks against the tour, as um, like it's in the player comparison tool, yes. which I like that a lot. Uh, the player comparison tool I also think is a good a good tool for you to use, especially if you just um, you know just like it sounds like you just can't 
figure out which you know you, you've got it narrowed down to a few guys and you really just want to yeah you want to nail one down and eliminate the others or whatever it is this is a great tool so but but talk about that that specifically yeah so you know on this tool uh we thought it was interesting to put ranks against tour because you know that gives you a, a greater picture of how well someone's really doing in that stat i mean if a guy's beating everyone in the field maybe it's a weak field but you know when we say against the tour uh we calculate every single player from the last 12 weeks in our moving average. You know, if you go to PGATour.com, you're only going to get the people that have enough qualified stats. So it might be around 200 people or so on average, I think it is. You know, for us, you know, you're going to see some of these ranks go as high as 300, 400 on the lower end guys because literally every single, any person that's played in that sample size counts as a person. So if 500, 600 people have played, the worst possible pot, uh, number is... 500 600 so that's why it might seem extreme like how the hell is there only is there 300 ranks you know in that but i think it was important to kind of widen the ranking to give you a a snapshot i mean you look at i got three guys up here that are you know kind of around the same price point um webb simpson's 8900 schwartzel's 10 2 on the high and then matt kuchar's in between there at 9 8 just to kind of give a wide range but you look at schwartzel strokes gain putting um you know, he's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, strokes gain tee to green. He's 19th on against everyone on tour over the last 12 weeks. He's, he's averaging 3.065 strokes gained against yeah. the field. And then you look at a guy like Kucher, who I've been on for a couple of weeks. I think he's been tremendously underpriced. Finally, he's back in a price range where he should be. Um, he's, he's putting, he's 18th against everyone on tour, 2.41 in strokes gain. But I mean, you know, basically by, by looking at it that way, and like I mentioned earlier, Webb Simpson, is uh, is first in this field, and fifth on tour uh, in strokes gained tee to green at six point four seven two. So that sounds like a lot. Again, he's not first because there might be one guy that played one event that had seven. So we take that yeah. into account. Yeah. But he's fifth out of say five hundred people in strokes gained tee to green. So you know that's why we kind of spread it out to ranks against tour because it gives you a, a larger picture. Now that's an interesting uh, group of three there to look at because. You know, if you if you just look at it on the right, you see, you know, like I have Webb Simpson. I mean, he's lighting up these categories. He's highlighted in the in the uh, fantasy golf metrics orange. Mm-hmm. Yet, you rank Matt Kuchar as as the better overall player in the fantasy golf metrics ranking. How, how why why is that? All right. So one of the things you, you, you'll notice here is we have it set to it on the the bottom. Um, if if you look at the value metrics, you know, you, yeah. you, you, if a guy is a hundred percent cuts made he's going to be it's always going to be orange so that's you know it's in these guys they played three or four events they made a few cuts it's going to look like that so i would you know the orange kind of draws your eye which is which is interesting but i think it's more important to to consider you know the overall recent form and then as as well as the uh you know the course history if you look at let me bring it up uh on the survival guide because i just want to have those guys specifically so Matt Kuchar, we have ranked sixth in recent form, sixth in key stats, tenth in course history. So the guy's in the top ten in those three. You look at Simpson, yeah. he's third in recent form, tenth in key stats, seventeenth in course history. They're I mean, technically he's ranked higher, but we're talking, you know, like I said, seven spots. And and this is a pretty strong uh top half of the field. I mean, our rankings basically have Spieth, Kuchar, Duffner, Stenson, um, Palmer, Howell to third. Woodland and then Simpson. So I mean, there isn't too much in between there. So technically, he's ranked higher. Uh, I'm guessing it, it. You know, if you if I look at it right now, 
It's slightly more on the heels of a, a better course history and better key stats. But, you know, when you're talking to guys at this level, uh, it's, it's pretty much why we went to that class system. Uh, we, instead of straight ranking them, we basically have guys in our first class, second class. Because, listen, like you said earlier, there's a, there's, a, there's a degree of luck in there. So for me to definitely tell you that our numbers say that Webb Simpson is better than Luke Donald because of whatever reason, really they're right next to each other and, you know, a, a ball bounce here or there. You know, so it's it's tough to we like to group uh, rank them in groupings and you know Webb Simpson and Kucher they're they're in the same spot here it just happened that you know the data yeah worked in Kucher's favor yeah makes sense all right so let's talk about one more tool and that would be the ownership tool um, the I like the GPP ownership tool it's just good data to go back and look at to give you an idea. You know, and, and while we're on that, just talking some some theory here. How much time should a should a DFS player spend on you know being concerned on ownership? Because, like, I would say most of the people in our world, you know, focus on or 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 weight to some extent GPP ownership percentages. But I've also heard some experts on other podcasts and and uh, and on Twitter just basically say they don't care. Um, you know that that at the end of the day they want six of six through, and or you know they're they're just gonna just do their thing and pick the six best players they can get in a lineup. So what's your theory on that? Yes. And, and how much do you weight ownership percentage? So I do have a significant amount to kind of you know get into in this. I'll try and condense it as much as possible. I will tell you this: Bobby is the GPP guru. This guy nails ownership percentage like I've never seen without using a, like a formal system. I mean. People always ask, you know, how well have you, have you done? How, how do you guys do? I play cash games mostly. Bobby's a guy that's had a lot of success in the GPP. So what I would say is this. You know, it's, it's a really fun industry, the golf DFS. Uh, as you can see on Twitter, it's a lot, a lot of banter back and forth, a lot of enjoying each other. I respect everyone, yeah. but it matters. If, if you're looking to play GPPs, it matters. And it's, this is not an opinion. You know, coming from a stats guy, there is just statistical proof in playing GPPs that it does matter. So we can, we can start at that high level right there, and I can just tell you it's not an opinion. It just it does matter. But I think what people get confused the most with is uh, trying to identify the right contest and, and the reason they're playing. You know, there's two, really op- there's two options, obviously. Everyone talks about GPP and cash. So if you want to just gradually increase your bankroll, maybe you want to put in $100 and you want to grow it to $500 and you want to just keep playing and it's fun, don't play GPPs. Don't get drawn to the fact no. that you want to win 100 no. grand. You know, stick to cash games. But if you want to score a life-changing payday, you know, that's the only reason you should be playing a GPP. You know, it shouldn't just be, hey, I'm going to play. This is the tournament. Let me throw it out there. You know, have a goal in mind because, you know, 20% of people in a GPP cash, 10% of that is just doubling up. So if you're just worried about cashing, right. if you're just worried about cashing in a GPP, you know, go play a cash game. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, so what it, what it boils down to is you get to that final 10% to really start making some money on top of your investment in the GPP. You have to differentiate yourself from the field. Um, you know, I mean, and actually just so you know, I had Bobby uh, wrote, wrote up like a, a whole friggin' outline here to send me because I wanted him to give me his, his input on this because he really is, you know, key on all that. So... The, the, the big thing is identifying the value in those players. You know, last week, I mean, how many people got crushed by J.B. Uh, Holmes? You know, the guy... Every- God, I did. I did. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, 30% ownership for a guy that's 90, 90, what, 200 or something like that? You know, 
if you know a guy's going to get owned, and you know he 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 was, there's just no sense because for a guy that's owned at thirty percent, he needs to finish like third or second for you to really make uh, a move on anyone. So you're you're just losing out so much there. Um, let me see. Just bring up some of the other notes he has here. Um, I think it's probably most important, you know, since we're talking about maybe uh, less formal DFS players, just to how to identify lower ownership players if, you, if you're saying you do care in those GPPs. Um, obviously, yeah. there's so many experts now, if we're going to call ourselves experts, I guess, touting players. You know? We don't, but you are. Well, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone really is because, you know, it's, 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 a, tough, it's, it's tough out there. Um, but listen, if, yeah. if everyone's saying that a player is going to be like doing well, maybe you should say, Hey, I'm playing a GPP. seems like everyone's on this guy. I mean, that's the simplest way. Right. Um, looking at historical prices, uh, which we basically, uh, will look at, um, especially if you use the value ownership uh, tool, you can basically see over the last 12 events where price has been and where an ownership has been. Um, nice little graph kind of visual display there. You know, if, if there's a price for a guy that, you know, he's 8,000 when he's been 10,000 the last three times out, which is basically Kucher. So I'm surprised he wasn't owned, his, owned more the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, there's just there's obvious ways to kind of identify what players are going to be owned the most. Obviously, if they're talking about him, and obviously price versus performance. Um, you know, so again, I tried to con- condense that as, as much as possible. I can kind of go on forever for that with that. But uh, it, it, it's important. If you're going to play GPP, it matters who you pick, and making sure you're getting the most out of players that people don't own. Well, it seems to me, too, that, you know, especially looking at GPPs as far as ownership level is concerned, that a lot of people tend to kind of gravitate towards the cheaper players as being, you know, a GPP-type player. But but in reality, you know, some of those higher-priced guys, you know, the ones like you mentioned maybe with Kucher or some of those, you know, the other guys that, you know, maybe kind of flying in under the radar are, are sort of the better GPP GPP plays anyway, even though they may be up in that higher price range. Absolutely. There, there are definitely players. I mean, I think last week was a beautiful example, and, and, and Bobby nailed this one too. I mean, look at the ownership on the three best players in the world, averaging under 10%. It was ridiculous. I'd never seen anything like it, but you know, we weren't sure what it would be on Spieth. We figured it would be that way on Day, but um, Rory was, was somewhat of a surprise to me, but Bobby was like, Rory's going to be 10% or less, and when, how often do you get one of the best players in the world at less than 10% ownership? You know, that's, that's the opportunity. Yeah. And obviously he didn't win, so he didn't pay off as much for the people that took him. But for the most part, you finish second or third with your highest-priced guy. You know, all of a sudden you have 95% of the people in the field not taking the best player in the world. That's an opportunity to differentiate yourself. I love that, you know, and, and also the, the idea that, like you said, you know, GPPs only pay out the top 20%, but the, but the first 10% of that is going to double up your money. In that event, you might as well just play a double up. If that's, and, and, if that's and, all you care about, absolutely. Unless you're trying yeah. to win a million dollars, $100,000, and you're just not going to win $100,000 by picking, you know, the same people that everyone else picks. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Right. So. Right, so, you know, you definitely, you know, Pat and I have, have typically, like, I, I'm kind of a cash guy myself, and Pat likes the GPPs a little more often uh, than, than I do. Um, but, you know, we, we've definitely talked about the importance of ownership. We saw it last year in, in, in a lot of the, the Millie Maker events. Um, so I, I'm with you. I, I, I believe that, but I think that's a great thing for people to, to think about is if you're, 
if, if you feel like you're, you know, if you understand that you have to be in the top 10%, not the top 20%, don't, don't think about, well, I only have to be in the top 20% to cash. Like if you, if you feel like, if you can say, I feel like I, I only have to be in the top 10% to cash and you're okay losing the money that you're about to put in that thing, then you can play a GPP. Other than that, just play cash games. Absolutely. Now, now here's, here's one question I have for you, cause, and, and we've not even talked about this on our podcast, but I like this. I like where this is going, mm-hmm. and I think this is some, some theoretical stuff here. So, like, take, for example, like, like Pat Mayo. Pat Mayo's got a, a great podcast. He's one of my favorites. Uh, the guy's really led the way in DFS. I, I love Pat. Um, but when I first started playing DFS – I watched his show with Jeff Feinberg. I actually watched the betting preview more than the DFS yeah, show. Yeah. That's the one I watched. And I just – he was definitely one of the best in terms of entertaining, and he got me excited. He yeah. to get into it. I, I will give all the props to Pat on that. And Feinberg's a trip. I, I love those guys. They're so entertaining. But, like, you know, Mayo does his, um, his super fun uh, uh, contest on DraftKings every week, and I think it's like a $20 buy-in. And I don't know how many people are in it. I think it's like 100 people, and – you know, they pay out the top five or whatever it might be. I know Pat um, Pat had a freaking bubble finish on Davis Maddox pool last week. I think you finished, what, sixth, Pat, out of – was it sixth out of 100, and they paid out the top five? Was that right? Oh, my God. Yeah, dude, <laughs> just, just so, so, so take a contest like that because, to me, that's kind of – that's like a tweener a little bit. I mean, it doesn't feel like a big, massive GPP. I, I mean, I guess the percentages are, are, are close close to the same, but – how how is that contest approached? How do you think that con- that kind of contest should be approached? If you've got a hundred people and the top five are finishing, but it's only a hundred people, so then how much is ownership taken into account? You know, it's to give you the the real answer. It does it, it matters slightly less than it would in a, a fifty thousand person contest. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, it, it's really it's harder to predict in such a small sample size what the masses are going to do. So if you get a guy that, you know, is 2% owned, that finishes in the top three, you're going to kill it. But it's harder to identify what a small group is going to do because there's a lot of bias um, when it comes to a smaller group. You know, when you have a larger sample size, there's less bias for whatever reasons. But when you have a guy putting out a pool like Pat Mayo, Obviously, those guys follow Pat Mayo. They're probably all in the same mindset or at least getting a lot of the same information because that's how they got the invite right. to the pool in the first place. So it does, right. it does matter because you're probably going to be playing guys that have the same mindset. So it, it, it works both ways. You know, it, it doesn't matter as much, but in the smaller contest, depending on where they originate, you really want to be careful. Uh, you know, it, maybe it makes more sense to go against what the, the host has been saying, if it's someone that's, you know, basically someone putting out uh, players. It, it, it does matter, though. I mean, I would say in, like, 10 people, it doesn't matter. 10 to 20 people doesn't matter at all. 50, you want to start considering it. Uh, anything above that, it, it, it's, it's going to matter a little bit. I agree. I, th- I think that's a good way to look at it. Pat and I play in a little uh, pool with our, our closest friends here. And it's about 15 people. I never give a rip what ownership percentages are. It doesn't make sense to do that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so, so good stuff, man. Great tools on the Fantasy Golf Metrics website. Let's move on to, uh, to the Valspar this week. We already kind of told you a little bit about the course. And let's quickly go through some of these players that stand out. And we're just going to have – we're going to invite Steven to, you know, put his, 
put himself out there a little bit yeah. and, uh, you know, t- tell us who he likes and who he doesn't like, right? Oh, ready boy, absolutely. I mean, again, like I said, we're not, we're not huge touters, but if you ask me, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so, uh, so kicking it off, we have got, uh, we've got the guys over the $10,000 range, which goes Spieth, Stenson, Willett, who's seeing a $3,000 price increase from last week. Uh, Oosthuizen, uh, Patrick Reed, Charles Schwartzel, and Justin Thomas. Um, you know, I'm gonna start with Willett actually, who just played great last week, and a lot of people were on him. We were on him. I had him in lineups. He helped me cash. You know, his ownership was high, but it didn't matter. Uh, Three thousand dollar price increase, but you know, and I've seen some chatter on Twitter today saying, you know, wow, that's too high of an increase for me to be on Willett. But for me. It, I think some of that's because he was way too under underpriced last week. Like the guy, he might be a little overpriced this week, but he should not have been seventy eight hundred dollars last week. He he was a top top you know twenty golfer in the world golf ranking. Um, so I'm not as scared off on the price increase. I, I thought he was actually seventy five hundred. Yeah, it was, it it was, was seventy eight. It was it was low. It was under eight thousand. And anytime you have a guy, that's one. Of, Either way, it was way too low. That's one yeah. of mine and Bobby's rules. Anytime you have a guy seventy five hundred or under eight thousand, that's in the top thirty in the world. Like, what's going on there? You know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Totally agree. So I, I'm liking Willett. You know, I, I will say I did some, I did some research on this site you guys may have heard of called FantasyGolfMetrics.com, <laughs> and um, you know I kind of pulled out. You know, we didn't really talk about this, but a couple of my staple stats are always strokes gain tee to green. I'm also a big fan of scrambling, even though I, I know in the percentages it doesn't come out a lot. I just, I just feel safer. You know, it's like my, it's like my my safety blanket. I just feel like if a guy can scramble, he's more likely to make the cut. And God knows, I'm just trying to get six golfers through the weekend. So uh, scrambling, I, I put some weight in. Strokes gain putting, and then I do like your points against the field stat. So I, I kind of did some research on that. I know uh, Stephen and I had some chatter before the show about points against the field versus uh, like birdie or better percentage and things like that. So I'm looking at scores, and Danny Willett, you know, hits a lot of those boxes for me. So. I think I'm going to be on Willett despite, you know, some of the popularity last week. I mean, he was 20% owned on average last week, but I think he might go down a little bit just because of the uh, just because of the price increase. But maybe not. Either way, I, I like him. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that has, uh, you know, in the sample size for PGA Tour, he obviously only has one event in the last 12 weeks. But, you know, because of the high finish, his average is first in recent form, second in key stats. He has no course history. Uh, The reason that he's first in uh, recent form, second in key stats, but only, you know, halfway down the second class for us is because we also bring in his last four events from the Euro Tour and weigh those in with a little bit of a discount. So he's not ranked at the high end because we're actually looking at data from both tours when we put that model in there. So, But again, any guy that's in the top, that's in our first or second class, we feel has a really good shot to win. And I think 10800 for a guy last week that was 7800 could scare some people off. You know, I think, you know, and I agree with you both on Willett, but, you know, jumping above that um, – you know, we could, of course, talk about speed if we wanted to. But, um, you know, I think Stenson is an interesting play this week. And I, if, if there's anything that I've found about some of my plays this year is that I've been a little a week early on some of these guys. And I'm really high on Stenson last, last week. And I think this is a perfect course for him. Uh, he was a poor player last year. I think the price is not quite where I want him to be. But actually, that's a good 
thoughts on him? Well, what do you think about, um, it depends what you think Spieth's ownership is going to be. Do you think people are going to pay up to 12-8? I think Spieth is going to be much higher owned than he was last week. And, and yeah. I, I would say he's going to be in the, he, he's going to be, he's going to be one of the more higher owned players this week, I would say. I, I think I don't know, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd be, say yeah. I'd say in the middle. I don't know if he's going to be approaching that, you know, twenty-five percent range or anything like that. But uh, no, no, um, no, no, I wouldn't put him up there. I wouldn't put up there, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he's fifteen to twenty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'd probably say in that seventeen to twenty percent range. That's where I'm at on him. Yeah, I mean, he was ten on average. He was like ten percent last week, mm-hmm. and I think that there was a little bit of. You know, concern after his uh, his not so great performances before that, but then he you know then he went out and played pretty well this past week, and obviously this field is not as strong as it was last week at the WGC. So, and him being the the, the defending champ, I think he's I think he's easily going to be over fifteen. Um, so, you know, I guess uh, Stevens leading the you know leading the discussion here by asking you know based on Spieth's ownership if you're going to play Stenson or not. Uh, I just don't like Henrik Stenson, so you know I'm, I'm sure that's against all the uh, that's that's against all the all the stat guys. But uh, I'm I, I just I, I'll play Spieth. I'm gonna have a little bit of exposure to Spieth, but I'm probably gonna start. Willett will will be one I'll start I'll start well, with. But and he, here's again here's why I like Stenson, and I'm just talking from a GPP standpoint. I'm not talking cash or anything else. But he's sandwiched right there in between Willett and Spieth. Two guys who I think are going to be I, I think are going to be higher owned. Um, so I just feel, I feel like he is a good pivot play off of either of those two guys, especially in the GPP. Yeah, I mean if you're talking, I, I can if see you, that if you're talking above ten thousand. Um, I mean, I like Spieth the most, but again, you want to have that conversation about ownership. I'm just not sure where he's going to be, and I like Stenson all around, but. I'm either going to stay in that lower town. I'm either going to take no one from this field in that range, or or go at speed. I just don't know that I'm going to get the most out of Stenson at 11.5. But yeah, I think you're probably going to get the best ownership on Stenson uh, relative, you know, at that price point. Um, but one just a, just a quick note, and we've kind of been tracking him. I think Ustazen might be your your sneakiest bet in this price point because I can't imagine a lot of people. Taking him, he he creeped up. He had a strong finish, uh, you know, last week. And if you're tracking his his round by round numbers from the Euro Tour to to last week, he is trending in the right direction. The only problem is um, he kind of has an iffy course history here. That's the only issue. But I think that's a guy. Okay. That, it, yeah. Yeah. If he's a little bit of an understatement, he's <laughs> missed the last three out of three cuts but at, if, at this event, and I. I was with you there, but I, I, I'm not. I'm not crazy about the course history. That's just it's just a uh, it's just a, an ownership perspective. I think that's where you're going to get the most value. I'm not yeah. saying he's the best guy yeah. in there, but that's where I think you're going to make the most out of it. Well, I agree with you, Stephen. Too actually, I think with, per, from an ownership level, I think it is could be a good play. And you know, if you look at course history too on this 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 tournament, I mean it's. It's all over the place for a lot of these players. I mean, I, I really don't see anybody. There's a few players. There's a couple that, and we may talk about them here in a little bit, that really jump out at you. But it is, it is really just like a crapshoot on the guys that have consistently played well year over year on this course. It, yeah, I mean that's what the numbers show. There's 100. percent 
All right, so dropping down, um, I definitely like more guys in this nine thousand and, and upper eight thousand dollar range than I do uh, in the in the five digit category. But um, let me ask you guys this: like, there was some chatter on on Twitter again this week about uh, today about Duffner. So this is his sixth event in a row. We've talked about strokes bled grinding coined by our boy uh, at the Moostonomics. So the guy who's just playing a ton of golf, you know, we've had our, our golfers on the show talking about, and even actually John Peterson referenced that uh, to start off the show this week. You know, he, he mentioned that that three-week mark is kind of the time for him where he starts hating golf. And, um, you know, that, uh, we, we talked about that being a, a personal thing with each golfer, that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go across the board. But so what do we think about Duff? Like, first of all, I'm interested in his ownership percentage. I do think statistically, based on the, the stuff I looked at on, on Steven's site, I think he checks out. Yeah, He's obviously in better form right now. Uh, but what do we think about ownership percentage on Duffner at 9,400? Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be a guy that I – don't, I don't know that people are scared of how much a player has played. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to touch on that again after, you know, we kind of say that. But I think Duffner's a guy, he's probably just going to be not a guy that's going to kill you in terms of ownership, and he's not going to be a guy that you're going to sneak away. He's probably going to be one of those, like, mid-upper teens. If he has a decent finish, like you would expect him to, a top 20, top 25, you're going to get the proper value out of him. That's, that's what I would say. What do you think, Pat? I don't know. I'm not a huge Duff fan this week. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've kind of been eyeing a little bit Ryan Moore just just beneath him. I, I, I'd kind of like to see if you've got anything on him, Stephen. But but I, I I don't know. Duff's not one of my favorite plays this week. I, I think I'm going to be you know, going off him to Moore or McDowell. I, I love McDowell, and I know oh, David, God. you're not a big fan of him, but I think his his recent form to me has been just just on point so those are those are kind of the two of the guys that i'm looking at in that lower nine thousand range so real quick um cause i'll touch on both of them but just to just to go over that the strokes uh, bled grinding i personally i agree i want to agree but those guys they asked me to to run the numbers and i and i and i ran them on guys that played events in a row and no, there's just nothing that shows a decrease in performance you know there has to be mentally, physically, but it just it's just a testament to listen, these guys are pros. They're better than just someone that gets tired. They they're just they're robots, these guys. And we have, I mean, I wanna believe it, but look at Siwoo Kim. You know the guy the guy guy plays the guy plays thirteen out of twelve. That's my weeks. guy, man. I mean, Siwoo's my guy. Every every week everyone says, Oh, he's too tired and he and he makes the cut and he gets it done. You know, he missed what, one cut in ten events in the last uh, eleven weeks? Something like that. So it's you know I, I just I want to believe it, but as a data guy, I have to be true to that. I just I haven't been able to prove that that happens. At the same time, though, like, and we haven't either. You know, don't get me wrong, we haven't either. But but we have had. I mean, Brooks Kepka came on and said, you know, said that his, his team looked at his performance last year and and noticed that after that three week mark, they they saw a drop. We had. Um, you know, we had Paul mention, we asked Paul Tesori the same question about Webb. We asked, you know, and, and there was a similar answer. We had Kisner on the show. Kisner was a little different. Kisner said, you know, if I can get home for a day or two in between and just get some time in my own bed, 
you know, then, then it makes a difference, you know, in week six. But, but he, you know, even still alluded to the fact that there's, there's something with that, that mental grind of being out there. And then John Peterson again. So, you know, we, we don't have the numbers, obviously, to, to reflect one way or the other. All we know is that when we ask these players if that plays, if that plays into it, they seem, to, they seem to say that it does. I mean, Paul, Paul, talk, Paul Tesori talked last week about, you know, it, it really wasn't even the golf. It was more the grind of the mental aspect and just, you know, that after five or six weeks, you know, him and Webb will, will argue about something or they'll be getting on each other's nerves or just mentally they're not all there. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's just a weird – it is a weird thing. I'd say – I don't know how you would factor that into to, to something like what Steven does, though, as far as, the, you know, you know, maybe some sort of spreadsheet or whatever, you know, put, factoring that in. I just think that would be hard to do. I mean, it's just more of a it, uh, it um, a, gut, a gut feeling type thing, which, as we know, it actually, you know, gut feeling does matter in what we're doing as far as picking draft teams. teams. It, it wouldn't be hard to put out there. I mean, I just in terms of everything we're putting out there, it, at some point we could probably look to do that. Uh, I guess what I would say is you'd, you'd definitely be able to spot trends on individual players. When I ran that analysis, it was on the entire population. So obviously there's a, yeah, yeah. There, there's a wide range and you know there, there's no doubt that some guys are going to be affected more than others. So I can't say individually, you know, we looked at every single guy, but you know what, maybe it's something that if I can uh, figure out a way to automate it, I can throw it in there because we can definitely look at it. It's just I got to see how much uh, work that would take. But we have the numbers to kind of show it if we wanted. Yeah, and that's been the thing that, you know, we've we've said all along is obviously this is player by player. You know, we, we've not we have seen a few players mention that three week mark, but that is not what they've all said. And and it makes sense if you had a younger guy. I mean, Siwoo Kim's a young, you know, young dude, and you know he's obviously going to have a little more stamina or ability than you know freaking Padre Harrington out there. But uh, you know, so but just learning what what maybe those trends are for each player. Just gives you a, a slight edge, so that's that's all I'm saying. So it's just Duffner, you know. Duffner is one that jumped out at me as far as he's just been playing in a lot of events here, and so it just feels like it's we're getting close to that point where Duff's just gonna lose it because Duff needs to trunk slam on Friday and go go rest up in his own bed and then come back next week and then let me jump on him because everybody be pissed at him for missing the cut. Yeah, um, just just a note, a guy I don't mine that I think people aren't going to be all over might be Gary Woodland this week. I love Gary Woodland. Okay, so maybe I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, no, 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 no. But, I normally don't like Gary Woodland, but I do. Yeah, you know, I, like I mean, even, even with the three or five cuts made, the cuts that he has made have been really strong finishes. The guy is playing as well as he's ever played in his career. His points gained against Price, which I haven't touched on yet, is 13.14. You know, he's, he's a guy that I think is probably underpriced, but you know, you just kind of think of Gary Woodland over the last couple of years as a guy that has a bunch of, bunch of talent, never really gets it done. I'm not going to pick him, but I think he's a guy that might go a little under the radar this week. I'm liking Gary Woodland a lot. I also like Ryan Moore, Pat. I mentioned, I meant to tell you uh, when I was doing some research again on, on, on the site, Moore checks a lot of those boxes too, but so my, my favorite guys overall in, in all price ranges this week are going to be Moore and Simpson and, and Gary Woodland. Those are, those are some guys I like. By the way, let's touch on Simpson real quick. Uh, you know, he did have a withdrawal a couple weeks ago, 
and um, we we tweet, I, I don't think we tweeted about it, but we mentioned it in the podcast that he had some back issues, and Paul had had told us that his back was kind of tightening up, and it was really precautionary, um, just just trying not to uh, to make something something worse and force it. So he took some time off, but we did you know we did confirm that uh, today actually that. That web's feeling good and uh, the back is is fine. So, you know, do do with that information what you want. Um, statistically, I think he, you know, we talked about him already a little bit. I think he he's a great fit for this golf course. It's just a matter of obviously there's a slight element of risk there with the back injury. Yeah, I mean he checks out. Uh, he, we have him third in recent form, tenth in key stats, seventeenth in course history. He's made four or six cuts here, three of his last three. The uh, points gained is positive. He's averaging eighty four point eight points over his last three events. I mean, there's nothing not to like about the guy. Like him, like him. All right, so uh, as we keep moving down, I'm I'm liking a little Ryan Palmer. I, I like uh, what how he's been playing lately. Also, you know, back to my boy Sean O'Hare. I probably jump back down to Sean O'Hare. Those are the next two that jump out, jump out at me. Uh, well, and of course Woodland. But so those are kind of the guys I'm liking. I'm trying to trying to move a little quicker here. Pat, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I love Woodland. Actually, I haven't been able to chime in on that one, but he he's he's one that I, I I'm with both of you on. I think he's. Um, got a good chance to, to do really well this week. You know, one of the guys, and I'm jumping down a good bit this here, but I really kind of like some Cameron Tringali this week. What, what do y'all think about him at 7,000? I'm throwing y'all for, I'm throwing y'all for a uh, loop there with that one. I, I'm not really feeling Tringali, and I usually, I usually like a little bit of Tringali action. <laughs> um, I don't know. He, he hasn't been playing that great. I, don't, I just don't like his form. He's not on I, I recent really, form, but he does have a pretty good course history the course here. The course history um, is, is, is real solid. That's where you're going to get, yeah. you know, that's where you're hoping for yeah. a spark. Yeah, and that's that's kind of why I like him. Another guy that you cannot deny his course history that we haven't talked about is Luke Donald, and I think he's going to be – Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's kind of getting back into form. He had a little bit of an off year last year. Obviously, we know he's won this tournament, so – Luke Donald is another one that, that I think I'm, I'm going to be uh, probably jumping on this week. Yeah, he's a guy that no one really uh, touched uh, a couple weeks back at, um, at, what was it, at the Honda with a tremendous course history because everyone said, oh, well, this is a different Luke Donald. Made a cut, got you, got you that value. So, I mean, listen, if he's a course, uh, horse, for, horse for course guy, you know, it's going to show here as well. I like I like the Luke Donald call. Uh, I, I'm good with that. I, I have found a number of lineups that I've just started making. I, I'm ending with, uh, or, or I'm coming down like my second to last guy being in this like seventy six hundred dollar range, um, which is a lot of like after Sean O'Hare. There's not a whole lot that I like here, but Patton Kazire, who's usually Pat's uh, Pat's guy, I'm, I'm liking. The only little... reason I didn't mention him is because I always do. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll let you talk about him tonight. I, I, I'm liking a little Pat and Kazire. I mean, he's he's never played in this uh, in this event, but he's playing well right now, and he's he's a good putter. So I, you know, I feel like he kind of checks the box there. Stephen, how does he rank out on on the uh, on the fantasy golf metrics? Yeah, there? I mean, he's basically right in the middle of our our third class, which is a decent play for some guy at that value. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's seven or nine cuts, thirty second in recent form, seventeenth in key stats. He gets a little bit of a discount in our model because. Uh, he doesn't have any, you know, course history, but the trend is positive. Yeah. I mean, the the points gained against Price. He's averaging six point eight eight 
more points than someone priced at 7,600. So he's definitely a guy that's uh, on the, the, the positive end of, uh, of a value play. Nice. Well, dropping down into kind of that bargain bin range as we round this out, um, one guy that really jumped off the page to me when I did some research and, and checked four, like four boxes for me is Jeff Overton. I'm so glad you said that. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. How's he, how's, he, how's he looking at Fantasy Golf Metrics? He's our top guy under 7,000, which is a thing that we've made a big deal about. Uh, we always like to look at that. Who's that top guy in our, nice. in our metrics? Um, he's, in our, he's the only guy under 7,000 in our second class. Seven to eight cuts, five of six here. Uh, the key stats, he's kind of average. But, you know, the form is very solid. The course history is solid. He's averaging 13.46 points more than someone who's generally priced at 6900 So I think he's a guy that I'm going to probably have a lot of. But my concern is guys that have what, I, what I've noticed. Actually, you know what? This is not, this is not statistically proven, but it's just a, an opinion at this point. A guy that has solid course history generally ticks up the uh, – the course history, um, the ownership slightly more than the recent form. I think people trying to see who's doing well and they make it matter more than they should. So it only concerns me that a guy at that price has good course history, so people will jump on him. So I'm a little concerned about the, the ownership, but I can't imagine it's going to be more than like maybe 7% on the highest worst case scenario. Probably closer, totally. Probably closer to like yeah. three, three to four. And I mean, you've also got, uh, not right up next to him, but I mean, you've got freaking. Hunter Mahan, who's just, you know, I hate Hunter Mahan, but his name recognition alone, Will Wilcox, the DFS darling, Patrick Rogers, who has definitely burned a lot of people here lately. But, you know, kind of in that same area, I think you'd have a lot of people that would just gravitate more towards that name. I mean, even I don't think I've ever played Jeff Overton, but he will be in like every damn lineup I have this week just because uh, of this. We had had some Jeff Overton at, um, at, what's it called, at Waste Management. And that, that was pretty yeah. good. That was a good scenario. But, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the, the value and ownership tool. Uh, eight events, his average ownership across all contests is 1.6%. It was the highest at Sony at 32 It was the lowest at the RSM Classic at 0.2%. So even 7% was probably a little bit of a reach for me. If he's at 3 to 4%, it's the highest he'll have been in, in three months. Wow. Yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned something there, David, though, you know, that I do think is kind of interesting, not this week, but I think when you look at, like, the Millie Maker with going into the Masters is the name recognition factor. And I think you're going to have a whole lot of, you know, new players that are coming in, especially for these bigger, you know, tournaments like the Millie Maker. So I've kind of always wondered, you know, you know how much does that play a factor in when you're choosing your teams for the Millie Maker um, as far as name recognition? Because I do think that, you know, just the influx of new players for that. So it'd be kind of interesting to just sort of look at going into that tournament when, when we get to that point. But um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Stephen. But, but to me, especially with golf, when you have new players that are coming into playing D- DFS, they're probably strictly going off the guys that they know, just know the names. I mean, yeah, there, there's no doubt. When you're talking about a contest with almost, you know, with a quarter million people, you know, a quarter million, or I shouldn't say people, entries, because you know there's going to be max entries. So call it, uh, yeah. yeah. it, it 50,000, you know, people. Not all these guys are, are, are professional DFSers, you know, putting 10, 20 hours a week. They see some names they like. They want to make the Masters more interesting. It's exciting that the weather is good. Just like you're saying, it's your favorite weekend. They just want to have some action because it's not betting. It's, it's you know, it's a game of skill, but they can have some action. Um, that 100%. There's, there's no doubt that guys that have... The name recognition are, are going to get picked. I mean, I, I guarantee you, 
uh, Angel Cabrera's ownership is going to be three times as much as it should be. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and listen, it, obviously, if you've played him every year for the last, you know, six years, you've done all right for yourself. But, um, you know, he probably shouldn't be. So it, it, there's, there's no doubt. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if Pat's dad, who's a DFS player, puts in 100 <laughs> lineups, all 100 will have Von Taylor in them. So, yeah, it, it definitely is what it is. It's a good thing Charles Howell's not in there yet. Yeah. He would, I would just tell Dad not to even play. It'd be over. If, um, you know, I, I think the name recognition thing comes in if it's a more popular, more watched tournament. Because I think, yeah, I mean, this is the Valspar, right? Like, I'm a golf fan, and even before DraftKings, I never watched the freaking Valspar. So, no, no, but yeah. I, clar- I clarified my statement, Dave. I know, I yeah, said yeah, yeah. We're talking about the Masters. I'm not talking about the Valspar here. Yeah, no, you're right. So, I definitely think Hunter Mahan, at whatever low price he's at this week, is is uh, is not going to be as highly owned at the Valspar as he would if it were the Masters. But, um, but anyway, that's too much time on Hunter Mahan. Um, Another guy I I like in this range right below Overton is Andrew Loop. Um, Seven of ten cuts made here recently. When I look at the putting splits analyzer, I'm loving his performance on Bermuda. He gains like over a stroke and a half uh, on on Bermuda grass over bent. And the field strength, like like Stephen mentioned, is not great, but it's about the same. It's roughly the same in, on both form, um, you know, both Bermuda and Bengrass. And you know, you kind of mentioned the money earlier. The guys made like six hundred and twenty-five grand more on Bermuda than Bentgrass, only playing four more events. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that's a huge split there. I mean, you forget how much he's gaining. Look at again the variance. I mean, it's almost two strokes better. I mean, what is two strokes? Yeah. It, it, two strokes, what, makes you a cut? Uh, you know, it gives you a top Definitely, 10. It, it's, yeah. not, it's not even close. So, you know, Andy's, Andy's a strokes gain tee to green guy. He's obviously playing well. So I like the value there with Louv. I, I, I could see some GPP lineups for, your, for yours truly with a little Andrew Louv, Jeff Overton, and then four, four studs. So I, I like that. Let we'll, me see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Who else who else you guys like down here in the bottom? You know, looking at a couple of these guys that jump out at me, actually Steven, you know, mentioned and I know you don't like him, but mentioned Lucas Glover earlier. I, I kinda do like him as a as sort of a flyer pick this week. And Summer Hayes. I think him at sixty six hundred is a pretty good price for him. And the only reason I say him is because I just I just like that price level. So those are two guys that I like down there and um you know, kind of an under-the-radar guy. You know, I always like to take the Bulldogs, but I like Chris Kirk also at 6,500. I think he's he's a good play as well. So, Is it, Isn't he, like, still dealing with a little bit of an injury or something? I don't know. Not that I've heard. No? I mean, Did I make that up? Yeah, we had, I mean, he had one. I'm not sure where he's at right now, but we don't yeah. have yeah, Stephen can't. In other words, Stephen can't even find him on their sheet right now. Pat. I'm looking. Like, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to do right, it. You know? <laughs> if I can't find him immediately, that means he's not towards the top. Oh yeah, I got Chris. Kirk. Right. He's he's in the bottom. He's you know he's made three or six cuts. He's 90th in recent form, 130th in key stats, 118. He's missed his only cut here. Care's history. He's averaging 6.35 points less than someone who's priced at 6500 so like if you're averaging less than someone who's priced 6500 you're not getting it done i mean he was a guy that i loved not last year but the year before coming down the stretch 
uh, you know, listen, he's a bulldog, right? <laughs> Other than that, Pat, he's a fantastic play. He's a hey, fantastic uh, David, play. He's, he's actually probably done a little better on, yeah. on DFS this year, would you, would you say? Probably you me. Should, you should definitely play him in our league. Based on sure. this conversation, he's a lock for the final uh, pairing at this Bro, point. Yeah, that's there true. Pat, I know, I know you're, not, you're, you're not thinking or believing that you are the money leader in our weekly contest. I know, you, I know you're not making that assumption right now. I'm not talking about the weekly contest. I'm just, I'm just talking about, how, how, you know. Okay, NASCAR doesn't count for total year winnings when we're talking about golf. <laughs> How many how many white Zinfandels have you had tonight? I think you've oh had like six God. or seven. I'm this talking about overall this year, David. If you want to start compare, if you want to, if you want to bring the Excel stat sheets to you know to the to the table, I think we'll find that I've won more money on DFS than you have. This that year, is buddy. such. Listen, we're going to go by the fantasy golf metrics way of doing things, and we're going to look at a 12-week running average. <laughs> and I'm kicking your ass in a 12-week running average on PGA, not NASCAR. All right, um, I got I got one more value that I want to talk about, and that is another guy who on the uh, the fantasy metrics checking a lot of boxes, checking as many boxes as Jeff Overton, but cheaper is Colt Nost. Um, obviously, the guy's making a ton of cuts. So, I mean, he's going to be pretty highly owned at, at that sixty seven hundred dollar range. But uh, just looking at it, um, he's you know here's a guy who's made eight hundred thousand dollars more on Bermuda than bent grass and only four starts uh, and only four more starts. Uh, he gains a little bit better uh, strokes gained on, on putting on Bermuda. Not much, um, but I, I'm liking I'm liking a little Colt Nose right now. He's a scrambler. He's good around the greens. I don't think he's going to get in trouble, which is obviously why he's making 10 of 10 cuts. Yeah. So I think Colt Nose is the bottom for me. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the form is, is solid at that price point. The only issue is yeah, he's made one of three cuts here, and that one cut was basically on the number. So he ha- he doesn't have any success here. Um, that would be my concern. If you're going with a couple guys at that price point, sure. But you know, obviously, if I'm going with one guy that I can make under seven thousand, it's, it's probably going to be like we said, someone like Overton. Uh, you know, but. Yeah, David, I mean, maybe if you just mention Colt Nost every single week, he'll finally do something well for you. <laughs> I had a couple people message me about him today, to be honest. Dude, with you. what are you talking about? Pat, again, I, I, I tend to be a cash game guy, so Colt Nost, if he just makes the cut, I'm fine with him at 60-whatever. Like, I just need him to make the cut. I'm not. I'm just saying, eventually you're going to hit win me a GPP when you, when, you, when you call him out every week. Hey, I guarantee you that I, I, would, I would put Colt Nost finishing better than Chris Kirk this week. The uh, the price. Uh, wanna, should, we, should we do a little bet on that one? I think we should. I, I will take that bet. All right, good. We haven't done a bet. We've been doing like a bet every two weeks. Of course, I was like four zero, and then Pat rattled off two in a row. So now he's on he's on a hot streak. So, uh, which is why I had to do my my Spanish accent opening a couple <laughs> weeks ago, which everyone thought was uh, which everyone thought was the 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 Indian dude from the Simpsons, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll 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 do Colton this. We'll figure out a bet. The, the price you got any ideas. Let's get this wrapped up. Let's get this wrapped up. We've gone way too long, and you're starting to frustrate me. So let's let's just move move it along here. <laughs> All right, man. So Stephen, we really appreciate you being on. Uh, you and you and Bobby are doing great things at FantasyGolfMetrics.com. Be sure to follow him at FGMetrics on Twitter. All right, so so good stuff, guys. Uh, this was this was good. The Valspar is gonna be gonna be fun. Appreciate you guys listening. 
And, uh, you know, as always, may your screens be green, right? Yes, sir. All right. right. See ya. What will you discover in Asheville, North Carolina? Your inner explorer as you hike mountain trails. Your creative streak as you stroll the River Arts District. In Asheville, the answers can surprise you. Don't miss Summer of Glass, now through September, featuring Tahuli at Biltmore and a community-wide celebration of glass with local exhibitions and tours. Visit exploreashville.com to plan your stay. Asheville, discovery inside and out. All new Ellen, mother-daughter duo Kate Hudson and Goldie Hawn, plus the new Bachelor, Colton Underwood. If all goes well, then I'm going to go back to his fantasy suite. Ellen, today at 3 on NBC4. Today is gonna be the day we move ya. Come on and make the switch right now. News for today. Wake up with us. 4 to 7 a.m. on NBC4. Working for you.